Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays. Coming to you a little bit early today before Clay and Buck might do it tomorrow. I'm about to head to Miami. Uh, I've got a couple of different television hits right after radio today, so I wanted to knock this out early uh, before that. we got a bunch to dive into. Uh, appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Uh, I want to talk about early Super Bowl look ahead. 49er playmakers versus chief playmakers. I haven't heard anybody really talking about this, uh, but I was looking at the top skill position players. And for instance, if you drop the top five, drafted the top five, how would that look? Something to think about as you contemplate your wagers. Uh, I want to break down the $83 million Trump verdict uh, in the E. Jean Carroll case and explain why, in my opinion, it is such a travesty of justice, regardless of what your political persuasion might be. Uh, John Fetterman, Maybe my favorite Democrat all of a sudden uh, responding to Palestinian protesters who who were chanting outside of his home, Fetterman, Fetterman, uh, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. I'll talk about it. Mark Cuban, according to the EEOC, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission head, uh, admitted to an EEOC, EEOC violation on Twitter as he continues to fall apart trying to defend diversity and Women's basketball, huge money pit, even when they are winning national titles. I'll talk about that as well and what I think it means going forward, NIL and in the college landscape in general. But I want to start with this. Uh, Just something for you to think about. I am leaning, early preview, I am leaning, I think, for the San Francisco 49ers in the upcoming Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, clearly the best quarterback, right? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Usually... I would then go ahead and jump on the bandwagon of the best quarterback, particularly if I'm getting him with a point or two underdog. And I'm still, I'm not making my official pick yet. I'm just telling you how I'm working through it. Brock Purdy, last pick in the draft, uh, not respected very highly, ridiculed quite frequently. I think a lot of people still don't believe in him. Okay, but what about the playmakers on both sides of the ball? If right now you just had like an old school style uh, pickup, right? Uh, you were playing backyard football. Remember, everyone has done it. You got to pick teams going back and forth, pick your favorite players, everything else. So let's pretend that that was going on. Uh, clearly, leave aside the quarterbacks because Mahomes would be the first quarterback. He's way better than Brock Purdy. There's no debate that, right? But what about the playmakers? There is an argument that the first four playmakers, not talking about the offensive line, not talking about the defensive side of the ball, just on the offensive side of the ball, that the first four would all be selected from the San Francisco 49er side. Think about it. Christian McCaffrey's clearly number one, right? Every single person, boom, give me Christian McCaffrey. He's the best offensive playmaker in the Super Bowl. I don't think anybody can argue it. Second, Debo. I I don't think anybody could argue that Debo Samuel is the second best playmaker on either team Uh, in the Super Bowl. Third, Brandon Ayuk. Again, don't think anybody could argue that Brandon Ayuk would be your third pick. Maybe some of you would like Ayuk better than Debo. I like Debo better, but get to four. You've got a legitimate argument about whether you would prefer to have George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. Now, Kelsey historically has been the better player, certainly. Hall of Fame tight end, one of the greatest ever, if not the greatest tight end ever. But other than his performance in the AFC Championship game, for the last 12 weeks of the season or so, 
he's looked washed. He's looked finished. Yesterday, or two days ago, I guess it was, there was a tweet from me saying that uh, Travis Kelsey looks finished. He did. I mean, he had a good super, uh, a good AFC championship game. Dominant performance. Good for him, particularly in the first half. They kind of shut him down in the second half, by and large. But that was the outlier. That was the aberration for Travis Kelsey's performance all year. George Kittle has been the more explosive and better player down the stretch over Travis Kelsey. So you could argue Kelsey for, or you could argue Kittle for. Regardless, those guys are going to go four and five. And I was thinking about this. How many times has there been a Super Bowl where arguably you would draft four guys on the offense of one team before potentially you got to the fifth guy on the other team? Now, granted, Mahomes is the difference maker. He is the eraser, so to speak. And by the way, can you imagine if Patrick Mahomes had Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle? That team would go 17-0 unless they just got bored or somebody got injured, Mahomes would be unstoppable with that caliber of weapons. But I do think it's worth thinking about uh, as we start to inch towards the Super Bowl. Again, I'll be out in Las Vegas with a lot of the OutKick crew uh, next week helping to get you ready for the game. But I haven't heard anybody breaking down just old-school backyard draft style how much more skilled the 49ers are and, as a result, how much better of an opportunity Kyle Shanahan does to has to scheme up incredible opportunities for his playmakers to be able to make plays and also how much more difficult it is, even with a talented Chiefs defense, to be able to cover four guys of that caliber. And that's not even counting Juszczyk. Uh, that's not even thinking about Jawan Jennings. Uh, other guys, certainly, who can make plays, or even Brock Purdy with his legs. Uh, other guys on the offensive side of the ball for the San Francisco 49ers. I just like Kyle Shanahan with two weeks to prepare in general. Um, I, I think there's a decent chance that I am going to, uh, uh, that I'm going to be diving in and, uh, and make the 49ers my pick. All right. This is serious. All right, so that's fun. That's the frivolity. That's the NFL uh, action uh, for Super Bowl next week that we're going to spend a lot of time on. This is serious, okay? Um, this pivot is, uh, is, is substantial. It's probably nobody with this range uh, anywhere in media. Breaking down the Super Bowl, I'm now going to tell you why all of you should be concerned about the $83 million verdict that was uh, entered against Donald Trump in a civil suit in New York City on Friday afternoon. Uh, this verdict came down, by the way, while I was in the passenger seat driving with my 15-year-old. He turned 16 on Saturday, so I've now got a 16-year-old. Happy birthday to my oldest son, um, who now is old enough to get his driver's license. And so I, I was like, oh my goodness, I, the alerts popped up on my phone. But uh, if you've been a, a dad or a mom, uh, or a granddad or grandmom or aunt and uncle, whoever you are, if you have been in that passenger seat trying to uh, teach your kid how to drive, uh, trust me, it is, uh, is nerve-wracking. So this news comes down Friday afternoon as I'm driving back from my kid's school with him. And by driving back, I mean white-knuckling it and hoping he's not going to kill us. Um, but $83 million verdict, why is this significant? There are several details that I think are important here that aren't getting enough attention. First, remember they changed the statute of limitations in New York to allow E. Jean Carroll and others to file 
lawsuits that otherwise would have been limited out, time limited out. So first of all, this was a rig job from the very start that they went and they changed, which I still think is indefensible. They went and they changed the uh, uh, the, the time frame to allow these lawsuits to be filed, these civil lawsuits, after they had already expired. So one, they created a cause of action that I question whether that's even legal because the law had expired and then they go back and they reopen it and allow these lawsuits to be filed. So that's step one. Um, step two, this is important. This is the second defamation lawsuit that has been filed by E. Jean Carroll against Donald Trump. This was based on comments that Trump made in 2019 when E. Jean Carroll's book was released that accused him of sexual assault. But they used the first trial verdict as evidence to be able to introduce that then Trump had committed defamation. But this time doesn't add up to me, okay? This is important. Think about this. Trump made these comments in 2019. He hadn't been, at that point in time, uh, found liable civilly for sexual assault of E. Jean Carroll. And by the way, the sexual assault charge was found not a rape. So they found that Trump uh, touched her inappropriately, but they found that he did not commit rape, is my understanding of the civil suit, the first version that went through. So they actually found that E. Jean Carroll was lying by a preponderance of the evidence on part of the claims that she made because they didn't find that Trump raped her. They found that he sexually assaulted her. People say, what's the difference? Well, rape typically requires, again, statutorily it's different, uh, but it requires some form of penetration, right? Sexual assault could be you grab somebody inappropriately, you touch them inappropriately. So arguably, Trump was actually, even without showing up at that first trial, Trump was actually found that that E. Jean Carroll, the, the jury did, by a preponderance of the evidence standard. Remember, it's not a beyond a reasonable doubt standard. They actually found that Trump did not rape her. And again, people can dive into this in, in greater detail and do their own deep dive. But that trial did not happen until several years after 2019. So how do you find that Trump defamed E. Jean Carroll based on a ruling from a court that occurred after the comments were made by Donald Trump in 2019 to say nothing of the fact that it's $83 million in damages? Do you understand my argument here? Let me just kind of circle back and reconvey it if I can. Let's take it outside of the Trump universe. Let's pretend that someone sued me for defamation. Might happen at some point, hasn't happened so far, but let's presume that somebody sued me for defamation. And a jury came back in 2025. They sued me for defamation uh, for something that I said in 2022, right? Two years ago. Tr case goes to trial in 2025. Jury decides that, um, uh, that I am responsible for uh, defamation for what I said in 2022. And then they file a second defamation claim, and they argue that I also defamed by law, using the first verdict, this defendant 
based on something that I said in 2020. Well, how can I retroactively have committed defamation when the jury didn't decide that I committed defamation on the second act until uh, uh, it, it occurred before I was ever found guilty, uh, responsible, culpable for defamation? Does that make sense? I don't understand how retroactively you can accuse someone of defamation via an estoppel argument legally. And again, this may be so in the weeds that only lawyers are kind of following this along. How can I be responsible for defamation for a claim that was not considered to be defamatory at the time that I made it based on the jury verdict not occurring till after I made it for years? Now, that's complicated, and I understand why some of you may be lost, but Trump is held liable for defamation based on a comment he made on 2019 based on a verdict that was rendered in 2023. So how can he be defaming someone for based on a jury verdict that didn't occur till four years after? In other words, can you just go back in time and sue people for anything that they said and argue that they should have known it was defamatory, even though the jury hadn't rendered a verdict yet? And again, that's not even considering that the jury did determine that part of what E. Jean Carroll said was not true because they didn't find every one of her causes to be true by a preponderance of the evidence. So I this, this case, to me, should totally be tossed. And that's not even considering everything that was said uh, on MSNBC uh, last night, uh, which I'll play for you on Clay and Buck in about 20 minutes. But E. Jean Carroll went on with Rachel Maddow and said she was going to take Rachel Maddow shopping and said uh, that she was going to buy her a penthouse. I don't think she's ever going to get this money, personally. I don't. I think on appeal, what I just raised, a lot of people are going to be asking that question because um, I think it's a very interesting legal question, regardless of whether you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent. How can you be liable for defamation for something you said four years before the initial case had ever taken place. It doesn't add up logically to me that that would be a viable argument to make. Um, all right, uh, let me go ahead and tell you all about my friends at Manscaped. I'm going to tell you about Fetterman, Mark Cuban, and women's basketball blowing money here in a minute. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Trim your balls and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day knocking. Manscaped, the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription, the all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag 20% off and free shipping with the code OUTKICK. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that code OUTKICK, O-U-T-K-I-C-K, because your grooming upgrade awaits ready to charm your Valentine's dates. That's manscaped.com, code OUTKICK. Credit. I love when people uh, stand up against protesters. General rule. I don't care whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't think you should have protesters outside of your house. I don't think it should be legally permissible, whether you're a Supreme Court justice, liberal, conservative, uh, whether you are a regular judge, whether you're just a public figure for some reason. 
you can protest uh, many different places and let your voice be heard. It's never been easier to protest probably in the history of mankind. I don't like protesting airports. I don't like protesting homes. I don't like shutting down roads, okay, in general. But we're focused here on homes. Uh, These Palestinian protesters showed up outside of John Fetterman's home, uh, and they chanted, and maybe we'll embed this clip, um, inside of, uh, of a short-form version of, of this analysis. But they chanted, Fetterman, Fetterman, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide over and over and over again outside of his home. John Fetterman, Pennsylvania uh, senator, went to the roof of his home and waved a Israeli flag at the protesters down on the street chanting, Fetterman, Fetterman, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. I love it. I don't know what has happened to John Fetterman since he went in for treatment for depression. Maybe he came out and he was just like, screw it. I'm not lying anymore. It feels like he got red-pilled to the extreme. He's come out and said, look, the border's an issue. Uh, he's come out and been rabid in his defense of Israel's right to defend itself against uh, the Hamas terrorists. Uh, he has been totally sane reasonable, logical, um, and I, I, I don't have a word of criticism for him. Now, the Senate's not doing much. They're not passing much. But when you're saying the border is, uh, is a mess and we need to clean it up, uh, and when you're saying Israel has the right to defend itself, I agree. I'm sure there's many things that Fetterman and I would disagree on, and certainly I've been very critical of him. Uh, but I think he deserves an immense amount of praise um, for – being willing to stand up to these protesters. Again, I disagree with them showing up at the House, but I give immense credit to John Fetterman uh, for the way that he has responded to these Palestinian protesters and the way uh, that he has been dealing with uh, many issues of late that have made left-wingers super upset. He said he's not a progressive recently, which I also uh, give him a great deal of credit for. Uh, Mark Cuban, opposite of Fetterman. Some people, when they have wealth and security become more truth tellers than they might have been willing to be before. Elon Musk, I would argue, is someone who might be in that camp. John Fetterman, now that he's elected to six years in the Senate, at least recently has seemed like he's in that camp. I would argue that I'm in that camp. There's nothing you can do to me. I've got more money than I can spend for the rest of my life. Uh, if I decided that I wanted to throw up the peace sign and just go chill on uh, the beach down at my beach house for the next 30 years or 40 years, how many years of my life I've got, I could do it. Um, Maybe I will. Maybe I'll just be like, screw it, I'm out um, after 2025, uh, retire at, what would I be, uh, 46, 47 years old. Maybe I'll just ride off into the sunset, uh, just, uh, just chill, decide that I've made all the money I need, 100 millionaire just right off in the sunset. I think it's unlikely because there's too many cowards out there that won't speak out. Uh, And also, I feel a tremendous privilege to be able to say exactly what I think because the number one thing that people say uh, when they come up to me is, thank you for what you say. I don't feel like I can say what you say, but I agree with you. And I hear from people all the time. Uh, That's the number one thing that I hear. Thank you for speaking out. Thank you for the things that you say. Um, And I get it because... I've been in a position before where I've worried about losing a job and about whether or not I can pay my mortgage or take care of my family. And I know what that feels like, and I know that can feel overwhelming, and many people out there decide 
to stay quiet as a result because your first obligation and responsibility as a mom or a dad is to take care of your family. And if you do things that make it less likely that you can take care of your family, and let's just say it's share the wrong political opinion, I totally understand why uh, so many of you out there would be in in that position. Uh, And so I don't take the privilege that I have to talk to millions of people every day for granted, whether it's on TV, uh, whether it's uh, on OutKick, whether it's on Clay and Buck, um, whether it's just on Twitter, right, with videos that we post, or TikTok. We had a video, another video that got over a million views yesterday on TikTok. Um, I mean, you know, what I say is, and what we say at OutKick is spreading uh, quite a lot because I think there's a great demand for it. Uh, Mark Cuban's the opposite of that. Mark Cuban is a multi-billionaire. He could never spend that money. Really, when you get, I would argue, to anywhere north of $20 million, you're really just trying to decide how much are you going to leave behind to your kids, honestly, because it's hard to spend all that money. Um, But when you get to billions of dollars, legitimately, there's no way that you can spend that money. And I would like to think that with that money would come the freedom to say whatever you want to say. Instead, Mark Cuban... I don't know whether he fells held hostage because some of the accusations against him in the past of sexual assault and sexual harassment, sexual impropriety. Go look at all the allegations that have come out about the Dallas Mavericks uh, organization and Mark Cuban over the years. I don't know if that's really the story. Uh, a friend of mine sent me that uh, last week and was like, hey, do you think this explains why Cuban is so left-wing that he's trying to protect himself from the Me Too universe and the diversity uh, and inclusion uh, cancel culture mob, if he says the wrong thing, that they're going to come for him. Um, I think that might possibly be true. I also just think he's not a very deep thinker. Um, He got lucky, and sometimes luck is important. Uh, He's a sports fan. He started Broadcast.com. I think he sold it for billions of dollars. It's a total bust of a company. I don't think it's ever had any success. Um, and then like a lot of sports fans who suddenly got rich, he went and bought a NBA franchise and he seemed like a rebel. He seemed like an outspoken free thinker early in his career. And man, I don't know if it's the people coming after him for allegations of impropriety. I don't know if it's, uh, just getting old and becoming like, uh, Howard Stern, a shell of the self that he used to be. Mark Cuban's 65 years old. He's not that old. I don't know if Trump broke him. Um, but he has just totally gone off the deep end. And now he spends his time, like you may have seen him arguing with me, sold his NBA franchise, he doesn't own it anymore. He's got a share of it, but he doesn't own it anymore. And just feels to me like he's floundering. And he doesn't have any idea what arguments he's making. And I've said before, I mean, he's welcome to come on the shows. I'd love to have a long-form discussion with him because I think, really, he would fall completely apart if he was questioned to any degree in any kind of specific nature uh, about much of what he's involved in. But he evidently committed, according to the head of the EEOC, an EEOC uh, uh, violation by arguing about how he decides to hire people. And look, my thing is, I think you should hire the best person. And I think this idea that race is used as a proxy for diversity is actually racist because super left-wing people who believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion actually all have the exact same opinion. 
So I don't understand why cosmetic diversity is a goal at all. What actually matters is intellectual diversity. And if you're using race as a proxy for thought diversity, uh, that's actually racist because you're presuming that based on what someone looks like is going to dictate what they believe. And I, I just don't buy that. I think that most individuals are far too complex and interesting for that to be true. And what these DEI people are basically saying is if you're black, you believe X. If you're Hispanic, you believe Y. If you're white, you believe Z. And if you're Asian, you believe whatever, T. And that's not true. You know, everybody has a variety of beliefs. What you need is a cadre, a collection, a coterie, a group of people that believe something different. And then you can have all those people that believe different things argue, make sure that you don't have blind spots, and then make choices based on that. You know, my wife used to get angry at me for as many things, but early in our uh, relationship, I used to come to her with questions and I would say, hey, what do you, th I'm, I'm really kind of trying to work through a decision. And then I would give her the, uh, the parameters and I would say, what do you think? What do you think I should do? And she would give me her opinion and then sometimes I wouldn't do what she suggested. And she would get mad. She would say, why are you asking me my opinion and then not taking it? And I said, this is the truth. I want to get as many opinions from intelligent people as I can to make sure that I'm not missing something, to make sure that I'm not having a blind spot and seeing something that I should. And if you make an argument that I've already considered, that I may or may not take it, but I just want to make sure that I've got an intelligent sounding board and as many people that I can talk to as possible to actually get a uh, reasonably intelligent choice made. And it doesn't mean I take the, take the option. doesn't mean that I take that advice, but I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. I'm pretty good in general at working through uh, all of the different parameters and permutations. Um, and uh, anyway, that is uh, something that I think is significant. I'm going to come back to this because I got to go sit down and get ready for Clay and Buck. It's almost time uh, for my radio show. Uh, but tomorrow, put a star on this. Um, either tomorrow or Monday or whenever I'm back with the next Outkick show, because I may or may not be live tomorrow. I'm going to talk about the women's basketball money losses at LSU and Ole Miss and what they mean. Uh, but as a preview for the next discussion, LSU won the national championship last year and lost $8 million in women's basketball. $8 million. What does it say if even when you are winning championships, some college sports like women's basketball are losing millions and millions of dollars. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh, I appreciate all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I am Clay Travis, and this has been Outkick, the show.